Hello everyone. We are continuing Northrop Rice Archetypes of uh, Literature. In the previous class, we were discussing the various literary genres and how they are associated with myth criticism. We have also seen the origin of the quest myth and the importance of quest myth in literature and criticism. We are continuing the third section. The next idea is to locate the origin of literary genres. Here Fry says that all literary genres originated from the quest myth. He is not using the word origin or originated. In its stead, he uses the word derived or derivation. He deliberately uses his word derivation to show the logical sequence of the origin. He believes that the quest myth is the base or will be the base of the first chapter of all future textbooks on criticism. Since we have this urge to find out the origin, myth criticism will be the first chapter of book on criticism also. He continues by saying that psychology and anthropology will also appear in combination with myth criticism. But compared to literary history and rhetoric, anthropology and psychology may appear as undeveloped or underdeveloped sciences. However, Fry says that it is not their problem, the problem of anthropology or psychology, but he attributes it to their comparative newness. You know the uh, text was published in 1960s, I think 60s or 70s. During that period, anthropology and psychology were comparative new subjects. And it is because of this newness in them that we find it undeveloped or underdeveloped. He also adds that this trend is changing. The example uh, he gives here is one, James Fraser's golden bow, the golden bow. There is also another example that is the archetype and the collective unconscious by Carl Gustav Jung. Both these texts are studied as part of literary criticism nowadays, which shows that even though they are texts written in anthropology or uh, psychology, they are considered as one with or closely associated with literary criticism and uh, uh, theory. Um, before we used to take history and rhetoric as part of literary criticism and theory, but now there is a trend to incorporate other genres of knowledge as well. 
He continues by pointing out that the way of studying the origin of form in literature is different from a psychologist studying the state of mind or an anthropologist studying social institutions. That is, even though we we uh, started to learn psychology and anthropology side by side with literature and criticism, the method they follow in each science or each discipline is different from the other. And he takes a wonderful comparison to prove this. He says, let's compare this to the distinction between Apollonian and Dionysian patterns of culture. In Apollonian culture, there is obedience to ritual. The base of Apollonian culture is this obedience. While Dionysian patterns rely on prophecies and Epiphanes. In ancient Greece, worshippers of Apollo emphasized order and calm in their celebrations. In contrast, the worshippers of Dionysius emphasized wildness, abandon and letting go of things that we see in Native American cultures. This distinction can be seen in the works of classists and romantics. Also, I am giving you an example here. Because classists always believed in the order of a work of art, while uh, romanticism was a liberation in literature. The shift from the form of narrative to those of significant values is an example of this. In romanticism, you can adopt whatever form you like. But the importance is on the value of the words you write. Do you understand the theme that you present? In the next paragraph, Fry tries to establish that there is a close association with myth and religion. One sees here how the divine is treated as a human character in myths and religion. I would like to give you the example of Sri Rama in Valmiki Ramayana. I specify Valmiki Ramayana. Uh, in Valmiki Ramayana, Sri Ramayana is presented as Maryada Purushottaman, the epitome of all human values. Uh, if you take the Western myth, say for example, in Paradise Lost, you have uh, the character of God, isn't it? And how is God portrayed in Paradise Lost? God is just like a human being or a father figure in a family where he demands obedience from his children Adam and Eve. So they are characters akin to human beings. And here epiphanies are explained in religion just like a psychologist interprets a mental phenomenon behind a dream. That's how Epiphany is explained. Religion is not associated with factual details like science, but how things look like. That is interpretation. Religion, the whole phenomenon of religion is based on this interpretation. Literary criticism is also working in this way, isn't it? We always rely upon interpretation of a work of art in literary criticism. Interestingly, there is no place for actuality in both the uh, literary criticism and religion. And these, both these uh, work on epiphanies. What do you mean by the word epiphany? Epiphany is sudden revelation. 
in both literary criticism and religion we rely upon this epiphanies uh in the case of religion it is a revelation of god or you say the ultimate truths in the case of criticism it is the underlying meaning we are after this underlying meaning we search for this meaning in literary criticism or in literature fry says that uh, one must understand this aspect that you should know that both are working just like epiphanies uh, before one proceeds to find out the relevance of quest myth in literature that's where we started isn't it the relevance of quest myth again he points out that uh quest myth is a central aspect of literature in order to get there we must understand where the epiphany originates i told you both religion and criticism work on epiphanies but where does this epiphany originate just like dreams it originates in the subconscious we must understand the working of the subconscious first isn't it just like the working of dreams only then we'll be understand we'll be able to understand how this epiphany works um in human cycle there is a pattern of a pattern of waking and dreaming which correspond to the nature's pattern of our cycle of light and darkness this is how sub in subconscious dream works there is a pattern of uh, uh, waking and dreaming isn't it waking and sleeping in human life and these are you know opposites antithetic that is what he says antithetic patterns it is in the day one develops frustration of fear about the powers of dark we think about the power of dark we think about the impending disaster we think about the unknown things during the day right during the darkness we are adventurous right we have this libido where you have energies of conquering your conquering self awakens in the dark and that's why fry says plato considered art as a dream for the awakened mind he was against art isn't it he said that art is just like a dream for the awakened awakened enlightened minds in art there is a resolution of this antithesis actually the inner desire libido and the outward world coincide in art isn't it uh, just a, an example is hamlet uh, have you heard of the essay hamlet and his problems in hamlet and his problems it said that what is a, a tragic flaw of hamlet it's not um, uh, his procrastination that is considered as a tragic flaw of hamlet Hamlet was actually in love with his mother Gertrude what you call the mother fix- fixation the Oedipal complex and he was actually very happy to get rid of his father when Claudius killed his father Hamlet senior he was very happy because uh, he could take the pos- uh, his uh, mother as his own possession and this is the libido of hamlet but what you see he has to overcome this libido isn't it and he has to uh, work for uh, the revenge of his father's murder 
that's why i told you the inner world and the outward world coincide in a work of art and uh, therefore the social function of art what is the function of art it is a visualization of the goal of society isn't it usually you see uh, even though we uh, consider it as perspectives you see that this is a different perspective of life but in fact what is this different perspective you will be able to understand life in a better fashion so that's why i told you it's a visualization of the goal of human society and it is this antithesis that is resolved in art and the problems of man are also resolved here and makes one see the final truth in religion and literary criticism what is the function of religion and literary criticism both are the same function the ultimate aim, aim is to find truth isn't it that's why i gave you the example of hamlet and his problems what is his actual problem his problem is this, this is a revelation and epiphany as far as a literary critic is concerned similarly in religion also you are after you seek the ultimate truths again fry is explaining this quest myth in the following paragraphs he points out that the quest myth should be understood as a pattern of imagery how should you understand this quest myth you know the hero hero is i told you is conceived always in the likeness of a human being and again his quest is to understand life to fulfillment you will say and uh, uh, in the case of religion and criticism also this is fulfillment or the ultimate truth that you are trying to find out or in other words the hero the art the religion and criticism are after perfection the aim at perfection in the case of religion this perfection is achieved through visualization isn't it interpretation you say that you say that there is an ultimate truth that's why you go to himalayas and you feel that the god is there or the inner soul is there isn't it and you meditate close your eyes and try to find the inner voice the visualization of the ultimate truth in art also through imagination or dreaming you can find the ultimate perfection perfection is a aim of literary criticism also you are after the truths you try to find out what is truth in literary criticism also he says that in the case of archetypal criticism this is achieved through a blend of the comic and tragic vision of life both should be there then only you can understand what life is and uh, fry gives various pattern of comic and tragic visions of life in the total mythologies not taking christian mythology or western mythology but he takes the complete mythology of the world and he tries to find out chalk out patterns where there is a blend of the comic and tragic vision of life first is visualizing the human world as a community and in the comic vision you have the hero the hero who is again uh, just like a human being but a little bit more and he represents the desires of the reader 
you have the archetypes here like uh, symposium marriage communion order friendship love etc which are the representations of the desires of the human heart or the audience or the reader now what is its opposite the antithesis is a tragic vision in the tragic vision there is tyranny and anarchy in human world the individual is isolated sometimes there will be a bullying giant of the romance there will be the betrayed hero send it and what about the female characters carl gustav's carl gustav jung's vision of a of a terrible mother and the varieties of a terrible mother like witch or harlot etc now the second pattern of the comic vision is the animal world just like uh, what you see in panchatantra stories domesticated animals and birds they communicate with each other they tell stories their life is an example of the uh, modern human world and you have uh, the stories of krishna also where the cowherd or the shepherd is a hero and all the fox all the herds are obeying his or her instruction mostly his instructions what is its opposite the tragic vision of the world where you have beasts which are untamed you have birds of prey they are after you dragons right undomesticated dragons etc this is the second vision now the third pattern is again the vegetable world in the comic variety of this vegetable world you have garden beauty grove sacred groves may be there park isn't it the mm, innocent world of adam and eve in uh, paradise uh shakespeare's forest comedies are also examples and what is its opposite the tragic image forest uncontrollable forest isn't it uh wilderness you say uh the heat example is uh, uh macbeth where the opening in the opening scene of macbeth you see the witches conspiring against hamlet i mean macbeth fair as foul and foul as fair send it and they are uh, hatching their idea in a heat that is a tragic image now the fourth pattern is the mineral world sophisticated human city there will be precious stones there will be trees which are luminous there will be a starlit dome etc this is a comic version in tragic vision again the rampages of human world that is desert rocks etc uncultivatable land uh the fifth comic vision is the beginning of the world the unformed world uh, there will be a river just like the story of ganga hmm? where ganga comes and gives redemption to the sons of uh, to the brothers of bagiratha etc etc and what is its opposite see said it devastating world the flood myth etc these are the five patterns through which he represent 
the archetypal images he says that uh, these patterns in which the comic vision and the tragic vision blend uh, will be an example of the archetypal criticism he also points out that uh, 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 wb yates sailing to byzantium is an example of this type of archetypal criticism is where you can apply archetypal criticism because in sailing to byzantium you see the bo- both uh, ends of the world isn't it and you can interpret uh, this world or uh, this pattern according to your own will and pleasure and it is a interpretation of myth that gives you the tragic and comic vision of the world and this is how he ends uh, archetypes of literature please hear this podcast and if you have any doubts please f- uh, feel free to contact me thank you